0: you mm-hmm.
1: Welcome to the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Tate. We have an incredible show for you this week. The main event is a longtime competitor in magic who's now on a mission to elevate North American magic competitors on the world stage. Mark D'Souza is my guest. We discuss his magic, his competition history, and the secret stuff he's up to today. Nick Lacapos stops by the show to discuss the feature part of the week from Roberto Giobi. Before all of that, we kick things off with one of our quickfire segments where your favorite magicians tell us the magic they'd never leave the house without. This week, IBM close-up champ Ferran joins me for the Everyday carry. Farron, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. All right, you're going out to get coffee with some friends, you're going to the grocery store, but you're a nerd, so you never leave your home without just a little bit of magic. What is your everyday carry?
2: So I've always got a coin pouch on me of some kind. Uh, At the moment, I've got Pocket Portal, which is a Sam King... uh, coin pouch that has, uh, it's ungimmicked, but it's got the ability to do some very clean loads and steals of of coins from from that coin pouch. And inside the coin pouch, I keep uh, usually two copper coins, two silver coins, and like a Chinese coin. Because with that, I mean, there's just all sorts of different things that I can do. Uh, And so that's usually my left pocket. And I usually have a red Sharpie marker in my right pocket. You never know when you need to do the classic rubber pencil
1: illusion. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was curious as to why you specified a red Sharpie.
2: You know, uh, it's become like, I don't want to use any other Sharpie, but a red Sharpie these days. I, so the first time I did, uh, a a impromptu hitman from runes world, uh, at the magic soiree, uh, comedy show that we have in Troy here. Um, I borrowed a Sharpie from work and it was a red Sharpie marker. Mm -hmm. It was the only one that was at work. And I I used that and I was like, you know, I kind of like this red Sharpie marker. Like, it feels like it's got a personality. It's not just your average black Sharpie marker. It's the bendy pen, doggone it, you know, so. It's gotta be a red Sharpie marker.
1: I love, I, so I also use a red Sharpie marker. I prefer to use a red one instead of a black one because there is sort of an interesting psychological thing that happens where it stands out better on the card and people sort of think, oh, it's a weird color. Like there's no way he could have switched in like extra ink or something like that, which is kind of neat. Uh, do have a question about the coins though? Uh, two silver coins, two copper coins, and then a Chinese coin. So a coin with a hole in it. Uh, are we talking dollar size or half dollar size?
2: Um, uh, usually half dollar size.
1: And just curious as to why you're such a coward.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kid-
1: I'm, I'm, well, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding.
2: I've got the the half dollar size pocket portal. I guess I could upgrade to the dollar size. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. I can't fit that many dollar sizes that that loadout. Uh,
1: do you find yourself having any advantages? Or do you prefer using half dollar over dollar, or is there a particular reason? I mean, like obviously, if you're using this particular coin purse for all of its advantages, uh, you're going to stick with a coin size that fits in it. Um, but do you find there's, there's certain things that the half dollar affords you that the dollar can't?
2: You know, I started with half dollars and they're the size that I'm most comfortable with. I've found it interesting to hear different magicians' opinions about dollars versus half dollars. And mm-hmm. earlier this year, I got some dollar size coins for the first time and, and ended up using Dollar size in my competition act because they show up better, but um, I I like the half dollar size better just because to me they feel more versatile. Mm-hmm. It's easier to do moves like uh, JW grip or or classic palm for me at least with half dollars than it is for dollar size coins, and um, yeah, and just certain certain other moves that I'm doing it's easier to do with that half dollar size. Um, So yeah, that's, I guess that's why I gravitate towards them.
1: That totally makes sense. I know like while Curtis cam prefers dollar size coins, like I know a hard bottle has some, some moves that like only work with half dollars, So he prefers to work with Mm. half dollars. So I was just curious as to, to your reasoning there, but Farron, those are, you know, uh, a, a specific coin purse, a handful of change and a red Sharpie marker are fantastic. Everyday carry items. Thanks so much for joining us on the penguin magic podcast. Thanks done. Thanks so much to Ferran for joining me on the show. Now on to the main event. Mark D'Souza has appeared on Pen and Teller Fooless, has been a powerful force in magic in North America, runs the Incredible MES convention, and has competed and won awards in both the IBN and SAM, as well as having competed multiple times at FISM. In recent years, Mark has stepped back as a competitor and begun to work on finding the next slate of competitors from North America to bring home the glory. Mark and I have been working on a project that I thought might be time for our podcast listeners to know about. I got some of Mark's time via Zoom, and now you get to join our conversation. Mark D'Souza, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. This is too long in the making. I don't know how I've, I've gone this long without having you on the show.
0: <laughs> I don't know either. I thought you didn't love me. <laughs> uh,
1: so... You and I first uh, really came to get got to know each other at your convention, which uh, is Maze, the uh, uh, Magicians
0: Alliance of Eastern States.
1: Thank you very much. I, I wanted to say no middle, problem. and I was like, no, it's it's in the east. Uh, you booked me for the convention. It was a, a really gl- glad time. We've had a good friendship, and uh, you and I share something in common, that you've competed in quite a number of competitions.
0: Uh, just a few. Absolutely. I competed for a long long time. Uh, my, my first competition was in 1968 at the SAM convention in Philadelphia, wow. it a, a competition I was woefully unprepared for. Uh, <laughs> and it taught me something that I tell competitors constantly, don't compete at your very first convention. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to go and kind of get a lay of the land, as it were. Uh, it's good if you understand what this is all about before you actually jump in and try to compete. And uh, I was supposed to retire in 96. Mm -hmm. Uh, I said going into the competitions in 96 that that would be my last. Uh, But uh, I just so happened to have won both IBM and SAM, uh, close-up competitions that year. And the SAM uh, forced me to uh, compete at FISM the next year, 1997. So that was the last. So 39 (laughs) years of competition.
1: Forced is a great way to put that. No, no one, no one ever uh, <laughs> competes at FISM of their own free will.
0: No, that's not
1: true. Oh, of that's course, I know. I'm, I, I'm kidding.
0: I had competed at BISM twice before that. Yeah, but in stage competition in '97, I uh, competed in close-up, and I, I wasn't forced. That was part of the win. Was they paid paid my expenses to yeah. go to BISM, and, and who am I to say no?
1: Oh, of course not. It's a it's a huge <laughs> honor to be asked by your, your organization to compete. Uh, Absolutely. What, what was it that drove you to compete?
0: Well, um, in 68, I have absolutely no idea why it was in my head that I thought I should uh, be in competition. Uh, I had no specific goal then. I had no idea what competition was about. Uh, It was just an opportunity to perform for a whole bunch of magicians at a national convention. So I kind of took that up.
1: It Um, feels like a lot of people enter competitions because it's an opportunity for them to perform. And and not because they're they're looking to to do something specific.
0: I, I would agree with you there, and um, I think it's important that you know before you go into competition, you understand why you want to compete. You understand what the benefits are to you, whether you know it or not. Um, and competing on that basis, not to win, but to uh, you know uh, to be seen, is is certainly a a real good way uh, or a good reason to to want to compete. You know, people who are unknown entities enter competitions. All of a sudden, a whole lot of people know about them, Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know it's an opportunity to get booked. You know, for other conventions, things. That's all well and good, but more importantly, I I think it's the fact that you're you've you've set a goal for yourself that you are working toward achieving that goal and not embarrassing yourself in that competition. Um, And more importantly, getting the feedback. You know, whether it is uh, plan feedback from the judges in a feedback session or whether it is just getting feedback from a whole lot of magicians who have seen you in the competition and uh you know just just give you some great ideas or or you know, at least encouragement to keep going
1: oh absolutely i couldn't agree more actually i think that um if someone is looking to compete and sort of hold themselves to a better standard your convention MAS mays has a really wonderful competition associated with it, and the feedback sessions that happen with the judges afterwards is just so valuable. I,
0: I would agree with you. It, it is a great first step for any magician who is looking to compete at you know, national levels or, or even international. I think those regional competitions are a great way to, to dip your feet in the pool and, uh, and understand what competition is and, and get a real sense of, of what you want to do there.
1: What do you think is, is lacking among competitors today? And I, and I mean that specifically towards North American competitors because it feels like 20 years ago that there were competitions all over the place and, and there were lots of North American competitors on the, on the scene and those have sort of fallen off. Um, and I'm wondering what it is, why there's not as many competitions as there used to be.
0: Boy, I, I think part of that is because of the 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 convention landscape diminishing to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, there's not as many conventions as there were mm-hmm. ten years ago, twenty years ago, uh, and for a lot of conventions, competition is less um, uh, a less important part of those conventions. Mm-hmm. They don't get away with comp- competitions or you know never had them to begin with mm-hmm. um I, I think the competitions are a great opportunity for magicians young and old to uh prepare an act for uh these competitions and to participate in them and you know the the reasons that i enumerated previously great reasons to to want to enter a competition um why are there less competitors boy i wish i had a good answer for that yeah. um i can tell you that Uh, you know, the level of competition, and I'm generalizing here, Uh, I'm I'm not being specific because there are great competitors, and I'm talking to one right now. Uh, um, You know, the level of competition, the level of competitors is not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. And I think it's partially because they're not getting the support uh, of an organization or you know, some sort of body to give them support that they need. You know, in in so many countries that produce so many great competitors, it's not always a formalized uh, structure that gives them support. Many times it's just the culture of those magicians Mm -hmm. that support each other, that, that work towards that. But I think there are so many things in place in those uh, societies that, you know, foster the competitions and foster the, uh, the advancement of magic on an individual basis as well as a group basis, and, and I think that's something that we need to address, and we, you know, kind of started taking our first baby steps towards doing that.
1: I think that that's a that's a great sort of setup for for a project that I know has been near and dear to your heart. Uh, Absolutely. So many people may or may not know this. Uh, I was recently appointed to the uh, the board of FISM North America, and so I'll be I'll be a part of the group that is working to find uh, other competitors. But not too long ago, you actually approached me with. A, with a pretty interesting plan, and I'll let you share that idea with our listeners. Sorry to interrupt, but this week the show is brought to you by Prophecy from Roberto Giobi. Nick Lacapo, join me via Zoom to discuss this unbelievable prediction effect. Nick, if we're talking about a trick from Roberto Joby, you know that it's going to be good. And this week, we're talking prophecy.
3: It was so much fun to to film these things with Roberto in London at the Magic Circle, which is a very, very cool. He brought this thing out and proceeded to fry everybody oh, that was there. Everyone. It was. It's, yeah. it's a miracle. Here's what happens. You show uh, the audience your, your wallet. You bring out a wallet. Uh, you open it up, and you empty it out. All the stuff that's in it, you get rid of it. You just put it off to the side so that it only contains a single envelope. Uh, and you say you have a prediction inside the envelope. I uh, put the envelope back inside the wallet and then you hand the wallet to one of your spectators. And then the audience freely selects a card from like an imaginary deck. So if you're out there listening, it's one of those like imaginary deck presentations where you have the spectator's name red and black and all that stuff. Uh, by the way, this is probably where the real value of this product comes in. We'll mm-hmm. talk about it in a second. Um, but uh, whatever card they come up with, take the wallet back for the spectator uh, they can open the wallet mm-hmm. and then you pull out the little prediction and there it is uh, inside the envelope is the uh, the the exact card I think
1: that what we're talking about here is I think we can we can sort of be we got to be a little cagey because we don't want to give away the method but we can be a, a little bit upfront is this isn't a force but it's a limited range selection and what you're learning here is how to control your audience's selection with just your words and it allows you to have this apparently completely free choice while still maintaining total control over your audience but more importantly it doesn't feel like you're leading them down a garden path like you're not it doesn't feel like you're pushing them in any direction or limiting their selections and it's this scripting that Roberto is so good at, uh, that is, that's the real masterclass of this.
3: Yeah. There's two things going on, right? The wallet allows for multiple cards to be thought of and named, right?
1: I think one of the things we can say with this is if you look at the demo, you'll understand you're getting a, Himber, sure. you're getting a Himber yeah. wallet. Yeah. But, but um, I, I want to say this is a very nice Himber wallet and there's a lot of Himber wallets these days that are made that don't have that top flap. And what people don't understand is that that top flap is the key. Johnny Thompson talked about this in The Magic of Johnny Thompson books. And it's Im- almost impossible to find that style of Himber wallet. And so I bought one just so I would have a great Himber wallet to use. And then the other stuff that's going on that you're going to talk about is just the icing on the cake for this.
3: Well, it's the best work I've seen on like that thing. Yeah. Red or black? Red. Harder diamond, diamond yeah. Yeah. number of cards, picture. It's the best work, period. On, on this, and when you start to hear Roberto talk about it, you'll understand why. It's not just what he says; it's also where he stands. Why mm. he's standing there. It's incredible stuff, and does add value to this product. Uh, I've not, I've not seen anybody talk about some of the yeah. things that he's talking about in this project. So. um You'll love this. This is something you can do for parlor stage uh, close up. It's not going to matter. This is this is something that you will do. It's a great thing to set, close a set with. It's really hard to follow falls in. The, it's just a great category of, of card magic.
1: Yeah. Uh, the Prophecy by Roberto Jovi Check it out That was Prophecy by Roberto Joby, Available at PenguinMagic.com As always, the incredible listeners to our show Receive 25% off the featured product of the week When they enter a special discount code at checkout This week, that code is HIMBER That's HIMBER H-I-M-B-E-R H-I-M-B-E-R For 25% off Prophecy By Roberto Jovi That code is only good for Prophecy And only good until the next episode of The Show Airs now back to my conversation with Mark D'Souza. So many people may or may not know this. Uh, I was recently appointed to the uh, the board of FISM North America, and so I'll be I'll be a part of the group that is working to find uh, other competitors. But not too long ago, you actually approached me with a with a pretty interesting plan, and I'll let you share that idea with our listeners.
0: Yeah, and it was not something that uh, really was foremost in my mind until the last night of bismet in Quebec at 22. uh, Keith Fields, good friend of both of us, Mm -hmm. um, came up to me and and was bemoaning the fact that the North American competitors, by and large, had not done as well as many of the foreign competitors. And we began talking about some specifics, and I saw you walk by and grabbed you uh, (laughs) physically and dragged you into that conversation. Um, because you you did do well. You placed in the in the competition there. And look, we had quote-unquote North American competitors mm-hmm. who did uh, do well in the competition as well. But uh, one of them was from Australia and one's from Japan. Mm-hmm. And those, despite the fact that they were sponsored by the AMA, the Academy of Magical Arts, um, they're not classically North American competitors. And it's very nice that they they, you know, use the banner of uh, FISM NA uh, mm-hmm. for that win, but uh, I, these were both individuals, extremely talented individuals, yeah. one of them will be working with us on this project, uh, this new program, but um, I, I, I think we were bemoaning the fact that competitors were kind of like out on an island by themselves. Mm-hmm. They were not getting the support that other competitors get in other areas, and it's support that that takes place in so many different ways um you know it is the camaraderie and the support at the convention of you know somebody's got your back mm-hmm. somebody's with you backstage helping you prepare making certain that everything is going smoothly and, and giving you the encouragement that a good coach would give you uh, if you were in, in a sports activity um but more than that the preparation of getting to that competition um mm-hmm. I have always bemoaned the fact that magicians, for some ungodly reason, think that they could do it all themselves. (laughs) In no other performing art will you find one individual who is the performer, the creator, the director, the lighting director, the set designer, the costumer, the the choreographer, the the musicologist who chooses... I mean, there are so many things Mm -hmm. that we are generally woefully unprepared to do. Um, And so it behooves us as performers to find people who know how to do that better than we do and kind of short-circuit that desire to do it all yourself and, and find people who are truly capable... Uh, of these various functions and have them help you. Um, And that is part of what this program is about. Uh, It's coaching, it's choosing consultants, it's helping people get their act together on on a constant basis, reviewing with them and giving them direction not necessarily say you will do this or you will do that but giving them alternatives to what they're doing and making them think about it and, and making more intelligent choices mm-hmm. about what they do and then giving them opportunities to perform and hone that
1: act yeah it's a it's a really exciting program that is being put together that's still in the early stages i think that you know i've after after fism and and when we had nick Lacapo tell my story to the to the listeners uh i was surprised at the number of people who reached out to me and were saying hey i've never thought about competing at that level before can i pick your brain and it it was it became and this is before you approached me about this sort of support program it became very apparent to me that uh I started getting my team together way too late in the game. It was actually a conversation I had with Eric Buss when I hosted his penguin live lecture, where he told me that he, he got to FISM in Korea and realized that all the other competitors had teams around him. And so he sort of just started grabbing people from, <laughs> from <laughs> to grab other North Americans who were just nearby to help him out. And, uh, and it, it, it occurred to me how, how late in the game I got started doing something similar. Um, and, the idea that the next set of competitors going to North America will be better supported, uh, going to Italy will be better supported. And then to the FISM after that, we'll even have, we'll have learned so much by then that we can really start to, to put North America back on the map in the competition. I
0: I think you're right. I think, and look at the very least, it's going to be a step in the right direction and it's going to lend a support system to people who never had one before, Mm -hmm. Uh, like, you know, look, I competed in, at FISM in, uh, in 79. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had props stolen from me before I went on stage. Yeah. Boy, you talk about unnerving, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm tap dancing out on stage during manipulative because <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what the hell to do. Cause that <laughs> props not there anymore. Yeah. Um, and you know, people to help you with, with tech calls, you know, Trying to do a tech call in a foreign language is kinda difficult. Um, and I recall, you know, talking to these people and that tech did not happen properly during my act, and I had to kind of scream out in the middle of my act mm-hmm. what that lighting person
1: <laughs> did to yeah. do
0: did not make me look good on stage. Either way. <laughs>
1: there's a you great know? there's a great story about how when Lance Burton won the Grand Prix that uh Mike Caveny was standing in the sound booth, just yep. standing over the sound tech's shoulder to make sure that the music started it correctly, yep. was it was at the right volume. Yep. And, uh, and it was you know, somebody it, else in the lighting booth. It was, it's somebody else who's, who's in charge of it, making sure that that competitor is taken care of. And well, I'm not saying we're going to get Mike Caveney to stand in everybody's sound booth, <laughs> but we'll, we'll certainly find somebody else to fit, to, to fulfill his role.
0: Well, uh, I'll tell you, I, I think that the, um, the people that are going to serve on this, uh, on the committee for this program, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think a lot of them are going to be hands-on uh, as part of the coaching, mentoring process, and consulting and working with these uh, with the various competitors that uh, are chosen to uh, to participate in that program. Um, and they're great people. The people I know, the people you know, and um, you know, I I task each of the member organizations to appoint one person uh, as the representative for that organization to this program. And now, just as of Magic Live, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> two weeks ago, uh, that last piece of the puzzle was in place. So now we, we're gonna have you know meetings coming up and seeing how exactly we're moving forward with the program. But we have the support of all the member organizations of North America. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you know, if we can truly make a difference in this and, and raise the level of, of competition in uh, with the North
1: American competitors. Well, Mark, thanks for coming on the show and, and talking about that. And uh, we'll, we'll have you back on so that listeners who are interested in taking advantage of this support program will be able to find out more as, uh, as those competitions happen. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast.
0: It's been my pleasure, Eric. Thanks so much. I look forward to seeing you soon.
1: That's going to do it for this week, kids. Thanks so much to Mark for being on the show, and thanks to you for listening. Hey, kids. The holidays are right around the corner, and that means we have some incredible new magic for you over at PenguinMagic.com. Be sure to go get your last-minute shopping done and check out some of the amazing new tricks that we've put out in the last few weeks. Also, next week, I'll be in Los Angeles performing and lecturing at the Magic Castle. I'm really excited to bring my borrowed deck show to the close-up gallery. I think you're going to love what I have in store for LA. As always, we're a weekly podcast so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platform that you've been following my combat robotics journey on. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, you'll just have to give a big shout-out to Craig Damby, the driver of SlamO and the madman behind Osprey Robotics. He's been really helpful this week as I build my very first combat robot, and that means Atama Chihuahua Robotics is always off the ground. I'm looking forward to getting my fight on. But... If fairy-wake-sized combat robots aren't your cup of tea, you can always hit me up on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T from me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Studios. Practice. Practice. Perform.